Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco, and drink. I'm Steve Ryder, and I am in, what's the name of this town, Eric? Uh, this is, it's close to Mount Dora, but it's Eustace. Eustace? So some people have heard of Mount Dora. <laughs> Mount Dora, Florida, which is in the Orlando area. And uh, yeah, I came out here for National Religious Broadcasters Convention, and when I did your interview, Eric, mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't think I did rapid fire questions. And so let's talk a little bit about an update. What kind of what's going on with you? And uh, um, it's something I learned yesterday is you've mm-hmm. written a couple books. You're working on a third one right now. Or actually, yeah. really technically a fourth one, but a third one in, yeah. a, in a tween series, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of fantasy fiction, uh, youth fantasy, uh, Christian fiction. Yeah, and so I, f- I figured, what the heck? Let's let's get this recorded. And, let, and I, everyone that I've talked to, one of their favorite parts of the podcast is rapid fire mm-hmm. and and hearing some funny stuff and some getting their your cigar recommendations and that kind of stuff. So I wanted to make sure to get the rapid fire. So, Eric, just for a refresher for people that may have missed that episode because mm-hmm. that was three almost three years yeah, ago now is when we recorded ago. that one. At the very first conclave, when I when I met you and Andrew in person, mm-hmm. and so uh, kind of just talk a little about you. You're born and raised in South uh, Florida. Yeah, basically. I mean, I w- we moved to Florida. Our family. I, I, it's a big story of six, lived in six places before I was in third grade, and we finally ended up in um, ended up in Miami. My dad had been with Campus Crusade out in California, and so they transferred room to Miami. So I, I would call Miami home, and being raised there. We were at an awesome church about a mile from our house that uh, we got involved with. And really, you know, my youth pastor there was like a second father. Uh, mm. He was just a real big influence on my life. Uh, I was one of the leaders in the youth group. And that's where I met my wife, Kim. Uh, she was raised in the same church. We have old photos of us. Didn't know each other when we were like in a little youth choir in our robes and yeah. different stuff. And um, But yeah, we met met in high school there, dated for seven years, all all through high school and college, and got married uh, a week after I graduated uh, college, and this year we celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary. Congratulations, my man. Yeah. That's awesome. Your wife's awesome. I freaking love her. (laughs) It's the first time I... I, Because when you were out, the time that she came out to the conclave, I don't think I met her. She was like, she was staying kind of far away from the smoke. So she was on the periphery. <laughs> she was, if, if you read the Christian Gentleman Smoking Companion, uh, the scale of one to 10, my wife, unfortunately, is a one. <laughs> but, uh, but she loves Holy Smokes and what it's all about. And so she's all about me smoking cigars with uh, guys. Some great guys. And, yeah. So she really, she loves that. So that's good. So you went to the Naval Academy, but talk a little bit about that story. Cause we were talking about that last night in, in your vehicle as we were coming back from executive cigar. Yeah, I actually had no, I played you know, football, a lot of different sports in high school, but football was my, my thing. And I was, uh, my senior year, my, my parents had no real, my mom went to nursing school. My dad went to some little tiny college in upstate New York. And so they really weren't, and I'm a big planner, even at that age, I was a big planner. And so I was researching schools, looking around, trying to figure out what I was going to do, pretty much on my own. And that applied to schools that all my friends were applying to for no other reason than like they had applied Furman, to. Furman, and- Vanderbilt, uh, Baylor, you know, just kind of random different yeah. schools. Uh, I did get an Air Force ROTC scholarship to Vanderbilt. 
And so I thought you were well, almost an Air Force guy. As, 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 yeah, looking back on it, it would have been a sad move. <laughs> so hey, it, 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 it feels it feels like the Army and the Navy and the Marines all beat up on the Air Force. They do, and and Air Force was so happy that they came up with Space Force because now they've got somebody to beat up on. <laughs> so a football coach came down one day, and he ended up. Uh, Asking, I, and I, every reunion, I tell my football coach, like, you're the reason I went to the, uh, the Naval Academy because he asked my coach, who are a couple of guys that can play that have good grades? So there were two of us he sent in and uh, went in, talked to the guy, um, never thought about the military before, came home. My dad was, wasn't in the military, but a big military history buff. And mm. so he was all excited about it. And we flew up, did a visit. You know, I saw the whole uniform thing looked cool. Uh, officer and gentleman was coming out, Top Gun. So I'm like, all right, this looks cool. I don't know what I want to do. And I bought into the whole, you know, thing of uh, it's a great place to start. And I'll figure it out. And I got a five-year commitment afterwards. And I'll figure out what I want to do. So I ended up going and playing. Uh, actually, I went to the prep school in Rhode Island for a year. It's like their redshirt program. And then played football at Navy. And ultimately, went down the road of a uh, single E major, I say, uh, Economics major. Yeah. So, uh, ironically, I'd been accepted uh, to Vanderbilt's engineering school for electrical engineering, and that was the only course I failed at the Naval Academy. So, <laughs> I was glad I didn't make that move, too. <laughs> mm. um, so, you got married right after you got done, and then kind of where did you bounce around within the Navy? Uh, within the Navy, I, w- I went in the Supply Corps, so I did food and money on the ship. So, I was uh, dispersing in payroll, uh, ironically, before... Um, payroll deduction and, and electronic feed. So every, every you, had, you actually had a course where you had to learn how to sign your name as quickly as possible without lifting the pen off the paper. So I've got a signature with an E, a line, and a D because I had to sign a thousand checks every payday. I There's would go, a course? There, well, there was <laughs> part a, of a course, yeah. Okay, part of a course. And so we would actually, I'd go to the bank, I'd have a big satchel, I'd give them a check for $300,000 every two weeks. They'd give me the cash, I'd go count it, bring it back to the ship, hand out checks, everyone would sign it, turn around, give it back to me, and I'd pay them in cash, and that's how it worked. (laughs) So when we deployed uh, for a six-month deployment to the Med, uh, Brinks truck pulled up, and I had six safes with $2 million in cash in them when we deployed. So I didn't realize that's how... People got paid in the military. Before, yeah. Before, bef- before electronic, electronic payments and yeah. stuff like that. So that, and then I ran the four food service operations on the ship. And um, so I, w- I was trying to stay in the business side of things. So I actually, I, when I got off the ship, uh, I was in Mayport, Florida. I went back to Annapolis is, and I got a, a job as the midshipman financial advisor. So it couldn't have been a better job for really? a tr- ultimately my transition into financial services because I... Basically, I had 4,500 students that I helped them with taxes, investing, you know, and, and um, got my MBA at night up at the University of Baltimore while I was uh, there in shore duty and uh, then made the transition pretty easily after that. So was, growing up, you're a planner. Did you ever think that you would get into finance in any way, shape or form? I mean, you chose uh, economics at, at the Naval Academy. Well, but. you know, I, I do preface economics because... You I backed into that major in some ways because at the Naval Academy, most people are engineers. I found out real quickly in my first semester that that wasn't my bent. And then not the way your brain's wired. No, and then they have a tier two. So tier one was engineering. Tier two was 
you know, like oceanography, physics, chemistry, didn't like any of that. <laughs> You're so, not a physics guy either. No. <laughs> so the four, what we could, they used to call there the bull majors, were English, political science, history, and economics. So I'm like, well, I like money. <laughs> and just, you know, I've dabbled in kind of stocks and different things in college. So yeah. Um, that ultimately ended up, uh, there's, welcome to Lake County with whoever's in the water over there. <laughs> so I ultimately uh, took as many finance courses like banking and different things with the economics. Uh, so it was more, a little more practical. Yeah. What kind of career path in, within the Navy do political science majors take? You know, it's funny. It really doesn't matter what your major is. There's guys that are political science majors that go to flight school and fly or yeah. become a Marine. I mean, it doesn't, they, ultimately, it doesn't really matter what your major is. Um, in, a, in a crazy way, it goes by GPA and your military grade and your physical fitness grade combined together, like a whole man number they give you. So if you could be an aeronautical engineer, but if you could only muster a 2.5 and you had a political science guy with a 3.8, he could get the billet, they're limited billets, so he could get the billet to go fly and you <laughs> You might end up in something else that you yeah. didn't want to go to. So. Yeah. So how long were you in the Navy? Uh, I served five years uh, after okay. the Naval Academy and the so prep school. Your... So it was really like 10 years, but I okay. served five in active duty. My brother followed me because he was exposed to it. And it was kind of great because when I he came two years later, so I always tell him, you had the last real plebe year because our class was in charge of his class and, <laughs> and implementing all the discipline. So. And he stayed in 32 years, so he did a whole career out of it. Yeah. Very cool. And now, currently, you are in. Uh, you, you just you just left. Just and made started, a big went transition. Out, went, out, went on your own. Yeah. So I got out. Got into financial services. Did one year and back in the Jacksonville Mayport area where my ship was, and uh, didn't like the sales side of it at all. I wanted to be more on the planning and more the analytical side of things. So I actually came down to Orlando because of Ronald Blue and Company, a Christian fee-based planning company. Yeah. And that's what brought me to Orlando. We stayed ever since. But I worked with a lot of professional athletes there, a lot of high net worth people. So that was kind of a little bit of an ego boost working with NFL and uh, a lot of NASCAR, Joe Gibbs racing, uh, all things like that. And then when I decided to leave, I took some of those clients with me uh, and just kind of that started my practice on my own. But uh, yeah, a few years ago, I decided I was tired of like running a business. So I moved to Ameriprise for 10 years and they kind of took all that off of me. And they were basically like, here's your laptop, here's your assistant, here's your office and uh, just kind of do your thing. And um, but I decided really at this stage for the last part of my career, um, I launched Reinhold Financial. My daughter's working with me as the director of operations, and my son is a finance major at Auburn, and he went to uh, Navy ROTC there, so he's on a, he's a weapons officer on a ship, just getting transferred to Pearl Harbor, but when he's done with his tour there, he's going to come join us, too. So. 18 months, you said, he's going to be over there? He'll be uh, 18 months on a destroyer out of Pearl, so, yeah. And then he'll be coming, working with you. Mm-hmm. So I have my business succession plan as my son and daughter. <laughs> we'll see how they get along. I can. <laughs> they still have to respect me, but. They won't, uh. <laughs> so Eric Reinhold, let's get to rapid fire questions. Mm. Hey everyone, I wanted to announce that we have Holy Smokes gear. That's right, we have swag. We currently have hats, shirts, stickers like for your vehicle or your travel humidor. 
magnets, even branded bourbon glasses for a limited time, go to holysmokes.club and click on the shop tab. That's holysmokes.club. I'm super proud of the shirts. They're made with Bella Canvas shirts that are soft and incredibly comfortable. The hats fit wonderfully, which can be a problem for those of us with big noggins. We plan on having a lot more to offer, like Guayabara shirts, additional t-shirt designs, beanies, polos, hoodies, cigar accessories, and much more. Check it out. And even if you don't make a purchase now, be sure to sign up for that email list, as I've thrown a couple big discount coupon codes for those exclusively on that list. So click the shop tab at holysmokes.club. Thanks. So I usually started out with what you smoking, and I didn't do that because we jumped right into it. So what yeah. you smoking? This is actually my go-to cigar. Uh, this is the La Gloria Cubana Series R. I love those. So I love those the stick. Are so good, and it's not you know it's an inexpensive stick, you know, but it's just uh, so tasty. Yeah, so it's a great value stick. Yeah, so I I love that one for just kind of every day. Um, you know, it's it's funny. Last night, I love the the CAO Amazon Basin that was mentioned last night in the podcast. Yeah, great great stick too. And I'm actually, my first favorite was probably the uh, Oliva Series V. I like mm-hmm. the box press. Uh, you know that it's really nice. Uh, Very cool. Yeah. When did you first try cigars or pipe? I have a picture of my very first cigar, which is cool. Really, uh, I was at the Naval Academy. And one of the cool things about tradition and history there, and unfortunately they're doing away with more and more of it, is that for the Christmas dinner, everybody would dress up in their uh, dress uniforms, bow tie, tux-like looking uniform. All 4,500 students would be down in the dining hall after just an amazing uh, sit-down dinner. They would pass out cigars to every midshipman. And we had port wine. And it was 4,500 midshipmen smoking cigars in one dining hall that wasn't built for the filtration. Smelled like smoke for like three weeks after that, (laughs) which is probably why they did away with it. But that was my first cigar, so I've got a a great picture of about, uh, you know, 15 of us from my company and a picture and holding sticks and stuff. So, You ever done pipe? I I actually have a number of pipes. And um, the interesting thing was pipes. I don't smoke pipes as much as I probably should. I mean, I love C.S. Lewis's uh, A Pipe Gives a Wise Man Time to Think and a Fool Something to Stick in His Mouth. I, mean, I love that quote. But uh, my, my brother actually gave me one of his pipes, uh, my youngest brother. And the mistake I made and learned really quickly after I did some research is you do not suck in on a pipe like you do a cigar. The draw <laughs> is much more patient, which is probably why I don't smoke them. But uh, yeah. I, I sucked in on that thing like I was, you know, starting a fire fanning them flame and I got burnt tongue and I, I literally I mean my tongue hurt so bad for about three days I was just that it really forces you to be patient which I'm not a real patient person but yeah what's your favorite cigar a favorite cigar if I didn't have I, I like the Opus X a lot I like Liga Privada the, the T52 or the number nine um, the most expensive cigar I ever smoked was the um and it was kind of a funny story, but it was the, I was at, down at Corona, uh, downtown Orlando, and I hosted events monthly 
for my business and so I had a group of guys and we'd finished our cigars and we we're almost getting ready to leave and the waitress came over and she said uh, you guys can order anything you want on the on the drink menu and I had a couple bankers there and they're like you know they were always asking for it but I said no I'm not paying for it but it was oh can we get the Pappy Van Winkles and she's like sure you can get anything you want I'm like, shoot, that's a $110 pour. So she poured three of us that, other guys different drinks. And so we're drinking this stuff, and I thought, well, I've been doing events here for like five years. Maybe they're just comping me or something. All of a sudden, this guy comes over, thick New York accent. He's like, how you guys liking your cigars? <laughs> or like, or your, your drinks. And we're like, oh, yeah, great. He's like, yeah, I bought those for you. And I'm like, okay. And then I'm thinking, what's this guy's angle? And he came over, and he starts talking about all sorts of random things, how he's got these laundromats. And I'm thinking... He's laundering money. Is that code? You know, and he's talking about silver and gold and this and that. And, yeah. and we got to talk about my two daughters. And he's like, hey, if your daughters are ever downtown and have any problems, here's my car to my cell. Call and I'll have some of my people come over and take care of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, gosh. So then he sees my sticks like all the way down. And he's like, He's like, what do you want? He says, I'll get you a cigar. I'm like, I'll take the Opus X Blue Label. That was like the most expensive cigar that I think they sold in there. But uh, yeah, it was a good smoke. Uh, but I'm like, okay, I'm not going to buy $80 cigars on a regular basis. So. Where's your go-to place to get your smokes? You know, I go to, um, really just depends whatever cigar place I'm at. Uh, the executive uh, cigars, you know, they've got a kind of a unique selection. I do like getting, trying out new things all the time. I go and put up bit, crazy bids on cigarbid.com a lot just and I'll win some of these sometimes where I get like these series are you know I'll get a I think a 10 for like 15 bucks I'm like what a steal uh, so occasionally I'll do that yeah. what's your favorite liquid pairing with your smoke favorite liquid pairing I, I do make my own smoky old fashions um, Ooh. so I've got the, the little cedar chips and the stuff I put in and, and make my own. I think uh, Wayne, out of Wayne's World, I was making, I was like the bartender out there last year and making them for the whole group all, all week while I was there. Old um, fashions were something Elizabeth got into the last few years of her life and mm -hmm. that was her go-to. That was her go-to whenever we would go out to dinner. And yeah. I like rums too. I like Diplomatica rum. Really? Um, I've never really gotten into rums. Neat. Never really given... I've tried the cheap stuff. But yeah, no, they, there's some good sipping rums. Uh, I know the Havana Seven is one that Andrew Lawson loves, and yeah. I've got some of that today. But uh, Boomba, I brought out. I bought six bottles and brought it last year out to the guys in Colorado Springs and left a bottle at everybody's house, and I got them all hooked on it. So it's like it smells like bananas, Foster. I mean, it's amazing. So, really? Yeah. B U M B A has a big X. Looks like pirate grog, but it's uh, it's awesome. <laughs> That's cool. Most interesting person you've ever met through cigars. Hmm. I try to remember that. You know, one of the uh, it wasn't Rocky Patel. It was his uh, brother that was doing an event at Corona. Met him and talked with him, which is interesting. But you know, with cigars, it's almost um, what I find more interesting to me is introducing people to cigars. And you know, one of the ones that uh, most recent, my son, uh, is there something about just like smoking a cigar with your son? Yeah. In the hot tub. Uh, so, <laughs> but uh, that's been awesome. Uh, my son-in-law, our soon-to-be son-in-law next week. Yeah, next week your daughter, uh, your Introduced daughter him to cigars, so I've kind of like brought him into it. And now he's like, he always tells Kara, you know, the next uh, 
when I come down to Orlando, I want to have a, hot, a cigar with your dad in the hot tub. <laughs> <You> know, that's <laughs> like, so, so that's kind of cool. Most memorable cigar experience. Mm. Uh, most memorable, really, uh, was probably uh, out camping, uh, backpacking out to a, a, a spot with my son and my brother, the one who went to the Naval Academy as well, is a huge cigar smoker. He usually carries his kit with like 50 sticks in it, and he's introduced, um, uh, he was the head of the ROTC at Georgia Tech, and so he wanted to keep traditions going like we had at the Naval Academy, and so he would have all the, uh, all the, all the midshipmen up to his place, you know, introduce him to cigars, how to cut it, and usually I'd get a, a a text from him the next day and uh you know it, it have these cigars that were cut off like two inches in and he's like a bunch of rookies you know it's like, <laughs> so but he, he's uh, it's always interesting listening to him that's why you give him a v cut that way they can't screw yeah, that can't up screw it. that's right yeah so uh but yeah my brother's interesting to listen to because he's he flew like 250 missions over afghanistan and iraq and so some of his stories and stuff and um getting photos from him when he was in the military on some base and He's next to a sign that says "highly flammable, no smoking." He's got a cigar out. <laughs> Your brother sounds like my kind of guy. Yeah. Marvel or DC? We talked uh, about this last night. We did. Uh, I'd have to go Marvel. I'm a huge comic book collector. I've got a thousand comic books, bagged and boarded. Uh, collected them from third grade on up. Uh, just last year, sold a twenty cent Master of Kung Fu, or known as Shang Chi for $400 online. Um, so I've got a lot, of, a lot of good comics. I do have a lot of DC as well, but primarily uh, Marvel's my thing. Uh, Who was your favorite superhero when you were a kid? Favorite superhero? It, that comes from, like the, well, probably the DC side because I used to collect, I have probably 100 comic books at least from Legion of Superheroes, and there was a smattering of like these 30 superheroes. They'd always grab four or five for a mission. You know, everybody else was busy. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, they got but, this laundry day. Yeah. So, uh, I dressed up. There was one, one character, my mom used to, it was a great seamstress, and so she'd usually make our Halloween costumes. And so, you know, my, my brother was Superboy. I was Starboy. There was just one guy who could, you know, I don't know. He, Starboy. Had, his, he had these powers to make things like super heavy. Yeah, it was you know, some random you know, superpower, and so uh, for whatever reason, I gravitated to that particular character. Uh, and, uh, That'd be a great one for when your kids are on their phones too much. Yeah. <laughs> you can't lift it up. <laughs> so here, let me set that down face down. Boom! You can't pick it up now. My mom was awesome too because we we got too lazy as we got older into middle school and and um, didn't want to like we wanted to stay out trick or treating so. We'd go around the neighborhood, and then we'd change into another costume and go around again. And usually we were like three costumes in, you know, going around this neighborhood. There's three different characters, so, you know. Star Wars or Star Trek? Hmm. I would go... Neither? Star Wars. Okay. But that's based on me enjoying the first three, which yeah. are four, five, and six, I guess. Yeah. But after that, for me, I'm, I'm totally lost in the new Star Wars world. I kind of tried to do one, two, and three. And after that, it was like, okay, we, we destroyed the Death Star. Now we're going to destroy the bigger Death Star. And now the bigger, bigger Death Star. <laughs> you know, it's like, so. yeah. But the original, the original three to me, actually, the interesting thing, Kim and I, one of our first dates was going to see The Empire Strikes Back. 
and I was appalled that the ticket price they had just jacked it up to five dollars for that, and I was so sad. <laughs> <laughs> for people that are classic Star Wars, did you ever watch Rogue One? It's about the lead up to getting the to the Death Star plans, and and it's kind of I a probably spy did, thriller. but it's like all the new characters, uh, you know. Yeah, I just couldn't. Uh, I've I've been a big critic of Disney Star Wars. Uh, I've been a really big critic. When you pay a lot of money, you've got to get it back. And I'm feeling like okay, they're just cranking stuff out to yeah. recoup their money. And yeah, but, although but, the Mandalorian, I kind of that was cool. Ma- Mandalorian was really good. That's that's one of the few that they've done really well. And uh, I really liked Rogue One. And uh-huh. then um, the other one that I just watched, the end of last year, and I was blown away by it was Andor. So okay. one one of the characters from uh, Rogue One, Cassian Andor one of the main characters in that film, this is all about the lead up to them getting the plans. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a really great spy thriller. And uh, yeah, it's really well written, really well acted, directed. It's, mm-hmm. in my opinion, it's, it's up there with the original trilogy in terms of quality. And, and mm-hmm. I, I'd, I'd say episode three as well, Revenge of the Sith. That's, that's another one of my favorites from the prequels. Mm-hmm. So uh, for those that are listening, if you haven't watched Andor and you're a Star Wars fan and you've kind of given up, Watch Andor because it's okay. it's really really good. What kinds of music do you love? Uh, I love well all types of music except for probably rap and you know kind of just headbanger noise in my opinion. But I, I like uh, jazz a lot. I'm huge uh, classic rock person, so that was kind of my thing in the you know the 70s and 80s. Uh, but I like I like even some of the campy 80s music. You know I'll, I've got two separate you know on my uh, well, I was going to say my iPod because my kids give me crap about that. But, you know, I, I do have it segmented in the 80s into, you know, the, uh, you know, whether it's Jenny and, you know, some of the other, you know, songs versus classic rock. They're, they're segmented into two groups. So. Is there a band from your youth that will completely transport you back and is still really resonates with your spirit? Uh, several groups. My two favorite groups were uh, Heart and Aerosmith. So I yeah. had you know every album from both. Uh, Last night on the drive, you said if you if you weren't in your current career, <laughs> so, so t- tell that story. Yeah. You were you were at church. Well, and- I was yeah, I, was, I, I lead a life group at church, and we I always have typically lead off questions, and sometimes they have nothing to do with the lessons about, and we'll go around and and so I did ask the question of you could be in any profession or you know you know what would you want to do, and so people are going around, they're naming just all of these random kind of nice church answer type stuff, and then got around to me and I've got an authored a few books. So I said, well, I either want to be uh, kind of the next J.K. Rowling in the, in the Christian fantasy world or uh, the lead singer for Aerosmith. <laughs> so they all looked at me like, who is this guy? So they're two you know, very, very uh, separate type of uh, things. But Well, we really didn't get into the, I totally forgot when we were doing your interview portion, yeah. I mentioned that you had written two books to... Mm-hmm fantasy books and uh um we didn't talk about that so talk about yeah my uh my girls when uh i i I really liked uh kind of fantasy sci-fi books growing up the one that had the biggest impression with me is uh you can get it in the used bookstore it's called hunters of the red moon uh yeah by marion zimmer bradley and amazing one-off book that uh, she wrote and it's an awesome book. It's, it's almost like they, for the Hunger Games, like they ripped it off of, of that type really? of book. Yeah. yeah. And um, so basically I used to tell stories to my, I, we had two girls first. Which I was shocked that I had girls because there's all boys on our side of the family. And, yeah. and so every night before putting them to bed, I'd 
had these ongoing stories I would pick up every night, and, you know, where it left off. And you knew the kids, the girls were paying attention because in my mind, I had to create a name. You know, she had this color hair, this color eyes. And if I messed it up, they would correct me. So they, <laughs> they were really into it. And so one night my oldest said to me, Dad, uh, you need to make this into a book so other kids can enjoy it. And I'm like, God, that got me thinking. And I, I liked creative writing. I probably would have gone an English major if I hadn't have been economics. And so I started doing a ton of research on writing and kind of, this is, we had homeschooled our kids. So this was the time where the first Harry Potter book had just come out. And while I enjoy them as an adult, there are a lot of people in the homeschool movement and others who really didn't like some of the overtones, especially, you know, kind of the demonic feel mm -hmm. of some of the stuff. So I really got to thinking, um, how can I make, a, make the story I told the girls into uh, something that homeschoolers, Christian kids could really enjoy. And so, you know, I didn't want to do magic because that didn't really work. And so I looked at, you know, looking through scripture, I thought, well, angels and demons, I mean, that's kind of cool. I'd read this present darkness, love that type of mm -hmm. process. So I just uh, decided I was going to create a group of three kids that were, you know, friends. And one night, the main character is Ryan Waters. Um, and one night, uh, Gabriel comes and visits him. It's the opening scene. And he's, uh, it's just kind of that shock value of meeting an angel. And he tells him he needs to uh, find the king's sword. And it's based on Ephesians 6, so the armor of God. And that same night, we go over to the bully in the class, and he's visited by a demon that tells him to stop Ryan from finding the sword. So it kind of picks up from there. And I wanted to create some things. Uh, Gabriel gave uh, Ryan three gifts. And so he gives him a ring, which is kind of like the old 70s, 80s mood ring. Yeah. And it changes colors based on different things going on. So at the front of the book, there's like blue, green, yellow, and the kids can fill in the blank when they find out what it does. And Was this the story that you were building for your daughters? Uh, no, it did vary because I, I, I kind of based some of it on that, but yeah. uh, I, I expanded quite a bit. And uh, he gave... He gives Ryan like this, uh, it's almost like a, if you think of a metal pool cue and it has like these white buttons on it. And as Ryan kind of develops in his faith, buttons start to light up and they start to do different things. And so those were kind of uh, ways I could, in a way, incorporate magic, but it was kind of like, you know, given to him by, you know, an angel, so it's good, you know, <laughs> so. And the cool thing about where I live now, which is two miles from downtown Mount Dora, I was looking for a setting for the book and I was going to make it a fictional town where you could like kind of like a Mayberry where you ride, the kids ride their bikes around. They lost. And then uh, we visited Mount Dora, which is really from where we lived at the time, maybe 10 miles away. And the town was perfect. It was by water, which I needed because that was kind of their gateway to this alternative. It's kind of place. funny that Florida has a town named Mount mm. Dora as flat as this state is. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, we have a thing that says, I climbed Mount Dora uh, 84 feet or something. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, uh, so I, I, I made the setting, Mount Dora, used all of the, have, there's a map of Mount Dora in the book. It's got all the street names, names of different places. And so it was kind of cool because I'd read a book growing in my marketing side, kind of my MBA was in marketing. So my thought process, well, shoot, if I make it a real town, ultimately it, it, it kind of grew. The Chamber of Commerce was carrying the book. Um, kids ended up coming from out of state to go to Disney World, but they'd do a side trip over to Mount Dora. And I used to lead 
for some of the uh, events going on in Mount Dora, they'd have me come over and like lead walking tours around town or different spots where things happen. So it was really that's kind of awesome, cool. dude. Yeah. So I've, 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 I wrote the second book. Which was uh, longer. Uh, long, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, the first book took me seven years of just picking it up, putting it down. The second one I knocked out in a year. And then that was uh, Ryan Waters and the Shield of Faith. And I've actually had a book outlined for a decade, uh, The Belt of Truth, and written like seven chapters. But uh, my goal is to kind of you know, wrap that one up and then just uh, make it available you know, on demand, on demand, just from three, Amazon. Yeah, three of them. It almost be for the next generation. One of the funny stories was my daughter. You know, my second daughter was in college at uh, Southern in Lakeland, and she had a guy come running up to her. Somehow, found her, her name was Reinhold, and he's like, "When's your dad gonna finish the third book?" <laughs> so it was like, "Wow, okay." You know, somebody gets. But this will be kind of for a, a second generation of kids, hopefully, that'll. And then those ones that are out there, they were always hoping maybe there'd be a third one. So yeah. That's cool. So getting back to rapid fire, yeah. what are your sports teams? Obviously, Navy, football, and Navy, Navy sports. Yeah, Navy football. And now, yeah, I grew up in Miami, so I was a huge Hurricane fan growing up. And the interesting thing was... And they one, really became a power when uh, you were in high school. When I was there. I mean, I went to the national championship in 1983, their first national championship in the Orange Bowl. And so, yeah, the 80s and 90s for Miami was huge. And uh, interestingly, before we went to California, one of the places I'd lived and first really recognized football was in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. So in the 70s, this was like 70 to 72, so I was a huge Cowboys fan. And, you know, loved the whole thing, uh, Tom Landry's story. Uh, I played defensive end in high school. and and had pictures of two tall Jones, you know, in my locker. Um, so but you were yeah, a tall guy. Yeah, tall. So that was like, I was too tall. The other guy was Harvey Martin on the other end. So yeah. we were kind of like, and uh, so huge Cowboys fan. So I was actually okay with, you know, Jimmy Johnson, of course, did great at Miami. And when he left to become the Cowboys coach, it was like, I was ecstatic about it, even though, you know, Tom Landry's on the way out. Um, but the other thing that tie in with uh, Navy is that you know, Roger Staubach was a Naval Academy grad. And when I was working at the Naval Academy, he would come through there all the time. And one of my jobs was working with the superintendent and doing all the dignitary events because of my food service background. And so I got to meet Roger Staubach a number of times. And uh, so that was really cool. Yeah. And then any other sports besides football? Besides football, you know, I tried to like baseball. I even went out for the baseball team because our football coach was, uh, you know, was won all sorts of championships. And uh, Rodriguez, Aaron Rodriguez, was uh, played at our high school oh, long really? after me. But yeah, uh, but I mean, our our high school was a powerhouse in baseball. And you know, I was left hand, so I thought I would be a pitcher, but that lasted about two weeks. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so you know, I, I played soccer in uh, high school. Enjoyed that. Um, but no real, uh, yeah, outside of football, I, I mean, I'm a bigger um, college fan. So I'm, I'm involved with Florida Citrus Sports and go scout football games all over, you know, the place uh, in the football season. So that's a lot of fun. Very cool. Favorite food? Favorite food? Uh, I love salmon. We've Ooh. got an awesome salmon recipe that we do all the time. Brussels sprouts are in vogue now, so we've got a great... <laughs> Brussels great sprouts. Brussels sprout recipe that has sriracha and uh, honey and uh, so it's a kind of a nice uh, taste and, my, and rice pilaf so those three together 
you know, it's probably my favorite, you know, dinner to, to have, yeah. Dogs, cats, neither, or both? Uh, definitely dogs. I'm an anti-cat person, although a huge animal fan. So we've had so many different animals right now. In some my, finches in, in your we house. Yeah, finches in the house. Uh, you haven't been in my office. You might not have seen it, but we, I have a, another Lynn Dwarf rabbit in there in the hutch. So I've, I've had three rabbits. This is the third one. And I didn't see that. I'm going to have to look yeah, when we, I get we, back in the house we, next. We, and Blueberry's a name. I, I did, we did a name thing on Facebook and voting and all this stuff. And so <laughs> uh, Blueberry comes out and watches TV with us at night and uh, hops around on the floor. And, uh, you know, so that's fun. I've got, and I'm a big fish person, too. So I've got, uh, I've always had fish tanks. And so I enjoy just kind of collecting different types of fish and having different tank setups and things. Nickname growing up or in college? Oh, nickname growing up. You know, it's sad. Uh, I had a nickname. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to this one then. No, I had a nickname in, in middle school. The guy, he, he was our middle school. He had so many different jobs. But the same guy who was, ended up being the football coach and the baseball coach and um, uh, high school. He also was the PE coach for middle school. And he gave me this name, Chicken Legs. So I don't, and so it's funny because it caught on and I kind of just had to embrace it. So even with shirts, I had a shirt in the back. My mom put this thing, it said Chicken Legs. So I just acted like it was okay. Uh, but I was usually, yeah, I had a, I had a really intense uh, anger issues in, in uh, you know, kind of middle and high school. So in different sports, we used to play. Our, our coach loved it. He, he set us all up. This is like what, seventh and eighth graders, and we would play uh, street hockey. So you know, if you, if lay got, out people. Oh, we had this. Uh, you know, you're slapping the stuff on the across the pavement into there, and we'd wear. You know, sometimes we'd wear helmets and have. Um, but you could hit some, just chuck some guy, and they had a uh, one of the wire fences going all the way, you know, around the, the court and you just blast people into these fences and stuff like it was a hockey match, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So. Well, you mentioned that when you played football last night when we were talking, mm. you stomp on people's hands. Yeah, I just, uh, football is a good outlet for me. I, I always, I wanted to play defensive end because I'd rather hit people than be hit. And so when I first started playing football, I played defensive end. Uh, then when I moved to a, the smaller school, uh, where you, you know, most people played both ways, and and uh, so I got to play tight end, which I had a blast doing. But um, defensive end was the primary one. So yeah, I loved yelling in people's ear holes while I was tackling them, uh, stepping on their hands with my cleats, getting up off the pile. <laughs> and, yeah, my biggest accomplishment nowadays, I, I probably would have been on the bench just from getting thrown out, but. Uh, I, yeah, I remember getting three personal fouls in one quarter just for hitting people out of bounds and just driving them over the, the opposing team's bench and <laughs> just continuing through till they went on the ground. <laughs> What's one unusual fact that few people know about you? Unusual fact. I did one this morning. Uh, yeah, most people don't. I'm, I'm one of the few people I've ever this met that great. can actually swallow their tongue. And... and- I'm, I'm going to get a video of this, and I got to put it on. I'm going to put it in the group. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of it a weird was, thing because people, you know, people ask me like, "Why did you first figure out you could do that?" And I don't know. I think it was like in in middle school because I could always stick my tongue back and like touch the, you know, like I call it the punching bag thing, hanging yeah. down there, uvula or whatever. And, yeah. you know, and, and um And then I found that I could stick my tongue past that, 
And it's like I don't can have. Can you a, still breathe through your nose? Still breathe through my nose. So I okay. don't have a gag reflex because it never. I can put anything way back in my throat really? and I won't gag. Oh my gosh. And the problem is like under my tongue where normally it's connected. Yeah. I don't have that piece that connects the tongue to the bottom part of your mouth. So it's, um, you know, I can t- stick my tongue out and touch my nose. I can play songs with my uh, tongue. Yeah. So there's also, so it's like, I, yeah, I wanted to be on Letterman's Stupid Human Tricks, but uh, that never materialized. But yeah, but they, I was telling you the funniest stories when I, when I go to the dentist, a new dentist, the hygienist would come in and she'd be, you know, looking at my mouth to do something while I'd stick my tongue back in my throat and then roll my eyes back like I was having a seizure and start to shake a little bit. And this one gal went running out screaming for the doctor and he came in and I'm just like, what? I'm looking <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes I'll do stuff like that. You're a reader? Uh, huge reader. So, um, What are one to three books that are among your favorites, uh, your go-tos to tell people or suggest, give yeah, away? Yeah, I mean, I told you about one that yeah, if anybody likes sci-fi, Hunters of the Red Moon is just an awesome book. And I, I love uh, uh, DeMille. I mean, I think he's hilarious. He's got, there's there's books that you'll read. Well, Randy Alcorn I love. So he's got three fiction books. Um, I didn't realize that. That he's written, yeah. And uh, Deception is one of them. They have three deanings. But uh, he's really good. Um, but I love his book, Heaven, I recommend all the time to people. And I give it to clients, uh, believers and in, unbelievers. I read that back in, uh, I think it was 2011. Mm-hmm. I remember I was um, listening to it on audiobook. I got it from the library, downloaded I got the CDs and downloaded wow. it onto my iPod. And I was listening to it while walking through Paris and Cannes. Uh-huh. We went up to Cannes to go to uh, Normandy American Cemetery. And uh, um, yeah, I remember listening to that just... I think I listened to it like twice because yeah. it was so good. Well, yeah, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's so amazing because it's the the premise with just well, even him starting off saying your default destination is hell, but his his whole thing of and I'm a planner, so when we go on vacations, I do in depth analysis and all this of every place we're going, all about it. And he's like, well, if that's the case, why wouldn't you do that for the place you're going to spend eternity? And, you know, right now, most people look at heaven and they're kind of like, well, maybe it's just a ethereal place and it's going to be one long, boring church service. And so if you're not excited about going to heaven and what it's going to be like, why are you going to tell other people, oh, you should become a Christian so you can go to heaven? I mean, so it's, yeah. it's, it makes it real much more alive. Um, but I've, most of what I read in the hot tub on Saturday mornings when I'm having a cigar is uh, kind of spy, CIA, thriller type things. So... Uh, Vince Flynn was my first introduction to that, uh, and he's you know he's awesome. He's passed away now, but there's a guy who's carried on with that. But that led to you know Brad Thor, Brad uh, Taylor. Uh, people are now familiar with Jack Carr. I was going to ask you about Jack Carr and Terminalist series. Terminalist. I mean, the books are always better than the movie, but I agree. Um, I agree. I, the, the, but I love one, it when they try to make them into you know yeah. movies. It's kind of cool to see that visual come out, but. Yeah, I'm not much of a fiction reader, but I remember after hearing Jack Carr on Rogan, I think the last time or the previous time he was on, I remember just, all right, I'll get this from the library and I'll take a listen to it. And I was, I was hooked. And if you read it's like really The Gray Man, they made into a, in a movie and that whole series is awesome. So, yeah, um, love that. Actually, Vince Flynn is interesting because they send me his books every year to do reviews and posts beforehand. So I always get it like, two or three months ahead of time. And I have nice. people always asking me for it. Like, hey, can you give me the book? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. 
Do you have a life scripture? Life scripture? Um, you know, there was a point in time where I would every year I would pick out a verse just to be like my year verse and try and focus on that. Because when I look through my Bible where I write in all the time, I'll, you know, I'll look in there and see the life verse, 1998, life verse, you know. And so usually it, it skips around depending on where kind of I'm at in life at the time. Right now, you know, I've kind of gone back. I pulled it off the shelf because I kind of keep a little mini library at home and was reading back through halftime. And just this whole idea, you the know, classic I'm, Bob Buford I'm, book, moving from success to significance. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm turning 59 this year. I'm like, holy crap, I'm going to turn 60 in a year. And just thinking about, okay, what do I want to be, you know, in this stage of my life? What what type of life impact do I want to have? You know, because uh, you know, the job is kind of up and running. It's there. It's I don't have to do a lot to it uh, at this point. When mm-hmm. it was like early on, it was just trying to stay afloat. So, you know, things like, uh, actually for this year, one of the things I'm envisioning with the smoke on the water is uh, there's like three guys that aren't too far from my location and just having the four of us together and then, you know, maybe a max of eight, but trying to bring guys that aren't believers in this area, you know, just to come over and be around a group of guys where they can be like, okay, these guys are real guys, you know, it's yeah. not, it's not, you know, and just kind of introduce them to Christ that way. Name three things that you're thankful for at this time in your life as you're approaching 60. Um, three things I'm thankful for. First is my, uh, my marriage. It's actually, I can honestly say that at this point in time, it's never been better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kim and I, we've been together. We celebrated her 16th birthday two weeks after we met. So we've celebrated 42 birthdays together. And, you know, it's all the growing pains and all the stuff of, even though we knew each other for seven years before we got married, it was, I remember we were probably, I don't know, three months into marriage. We're in Athens, Georgia at the Supply Corps School. And I come home one day and she's just bawling. And I'm like, what? And she's like, I'm, I'm trapped in this marriage. I'm like, holy cow. I mean, I can't believe she said that. And I'm like, what? Everything seems great to me. And it was just like I wasn't connecting with her emotionally. I had a very emotionless childhood and parents. And hers is just the opposite. And she knew divorce wasn't an option. So it was kind of like, all right, what are we going to do? You know. And so that was a big wake-up call. Another wake-up call with her, she gives, you know, she always – at the right times in her life, she jars me awake. And so there was a point where I was, uh, you know, in business, really trying to build a business. You know, I'd get home late, I'd do this and that. And at one point, and I'd come home late for dinner after telling her I'd be home on a certain time. And she said one day, I want to be treated like your best client. Ooh. So that was a Ooh. huge way. So she'll come up with these zingers and it's just like, uh, cuts right to the heart. So women have a way of doing that. Yeah. So she is completely amazing. Um, she is. She's great. Yeah. And so the, just like the utmost hostess, so selfless. And so she completes me in a lot of ways. The kids kind of joke because, you know, I'm usually the one with the quips or the, you know, the trying to have some humor. And so. I think uh, we'll forget what the cartoon that was with the sloth or whatever or the, but they, I remember one time the kids saying, you're funny, mom's not. You complete each other. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, the second one's definitely my kids. A um, lot of issues, you know, 
trying to raise kids and do it, right? And you just hope, I remember one guy saying to me, you know, it's not how your kids turn out when you're finding how successful you are with them. It's how your kids' kids turn out. Because if you're not imparting the right values, both as a Christian and other things, they're not going to pass those things on. And you're just one generation from kids not going to church, kids not having the faith. And so for me, the, the thing I like, I brag about the most is my three kids are like best friends. Mm-hmm. They visit each other outside of us, fly around to see each other, do stuff together. So, uh, and now at the point where, you know, we do vacations together and, and they love coming back here. So it's, uh, so those are the two biggest, um, you know, things that, yeah, I'm probably proud of, uh, you know, my service in the military and going that route. You know, there's tons of Navy regalia everywhere around me, but and, and, but I just, I still, um, all the bonds and the things that I built through those relationships in college and after, that's probably the, you know, the third. One thing we've talked about since I landed is that your daughter that's getting married next week is marrying a, a West Point grad. I know, she's a traitor. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> she was wearing an Army shirt last now, night, and I, the first thought was, how much does that eat? Now, it is a little bit interesting with her, is, you know, and her mom marrying me, who was, you know, uh, Christian, military, finance guy. This guy's West Point, Christian, and he's going to get his MBA at NYU and get into investment banking. So, you know, she kind of, uh, you know, tracking with that. But, yeah, that is a little bit hard seeing her wear an Army shirt. Uh, but, you know, that's, I, I root for Army when they're not playing us. So I'm, I'm <laughs> mature enough to do that. And <laughs> Air Force Academy, not so much. <laughs> if you were stranded on a desert island with one movie, only one movie, what would that be? Only one movie. That's horrible. And I can name, I always tell people my favorite movie is um, it's it's about a, a a boy who becomes a police officer, but his dad died when he was nine years old in a fire. His dad was a fireman, mm-hmm. and he ends up. Um, it, it's kind of one of those space time continuum things, but is uh, oh, it's called Frequency. Oh yeah, with Jim Caviezel, right? Jim Caviezel, yeah, yeah. and then the main guy. Uh, think of his name a second but but i've got that movie and i've watched it so many times because i just love the whole aspect of you know he sets up the ham radio that his neighbor brings over and then he starts you know he's been drinking and all this stuff really misses his dad and then he he kind of dials into what this one station and the guy he's talking to because of this weird frequency going on in the airwaves is his dad across time before he died and he hears his dad actually talking to him in the past, you know, and ultimately it, it's kind of a dual thing where they, they end up solving a crime across time that hasn't been solved. The cool thing is that each time is the dad, he tells his dad, you know, when you go in that fire next week, because he knows the date's coming up, he's like, go right, not left. And when his dad's in the building, he does what his son says and he ends up living and it changes everything in the future. And now, because of it, he meets his, the dad meets the mom in the hospital when he's being taken care of. He says some things he shouldn't, and all of a sudden the, uh, the criminal, the crime they're trying to solve, finds out about his mom and kills her in the past, so his mom disappears in the future. And it's just every little thing that goes on. 
<clears throat> is really uh, fascinating how you know changing across time. So I like those those type of kind of mini sci-fi type movies. If you could be any animal, what would you be? Any animal, probably go with uh, an eagle. Uh, flying would be cool. They're endangered, so no one's really coming out after you. Uh, they don't really have a lot of predators. <laughs> I think that'd be kind of kind of cool. Are you an early riser, a night owl, or pretty normal? I pro- I'm forced to be both because my wife is a late night person. So I'd probably say I'm a little bit of both. I like I like to get up and get my workout done before the day starts and uh, get that out of the way. So I'll usually get up, go work out, and then uh, she's still sleeping when I come back. And then, but then I end up staying up with her later, so she needs more hours of sleep. Fortunately, I don't. So. What's your greatest strength and what's your greatest weakness? Greatest strength probably is a follow-up and connection with people. Uh, I love to connect people to each other. So I try to listen to kind of what they're looking for and what their needs are. And if I know somebody that can be a solution for that, try to connect them. So that's that's probably a great strength weakness uh you ask my kids uh, (laughs) probably is uh just being impatient Uh, i'm really trying to work on it but it's hard to overcome because if i do one impatient thing then it's like it's almost like you're starting over because they're all like oh there's dad again getting mad at yeah and so uh, i identify with i don't know if you uh watch see the cartoon um uh there's this character rat and um there's there's a rat, a pig, uh, a couple other char- alligators, a couple other characters in this one uh, comic strip, and he, the guy is so he's so sarcastic, but he's also super impatient. So this week on my I have a calendar for the year for this uh, cartoon series, and he's asked somebody asks him like, do you honk your horn, you know, after the light turns green, you know, within two seconds? And rat's like, no. He's like. He's like, really? He's like, no, I honk it beforehand because I know that person's an idiot and they're not going to move out of my way. <laughs> so I identify with them. <laughs> Who's been the greatest influence in your life? I probably had two that were real big influences. One was the, my youth pastor that I talked about uh, that kind of acted as a second father in a lot of ways. Um, so he had a big impact with me spiritually in high school that... Um, carried on for quite some time uh and the second one was actually when i first moved to orlando my brother told me about this guy pat morley who's written man in the mirror and a number of other books but he had a bible study every uh, friday in winter park about 200 guys would show up and so every week he'd have some nugget it was called the big idea of the day of the day and you know and i worked some of those into my books um because they were such profound thoughts i kind of expand on them a little bit and and uh uh, in my fantasy books, so yeah, he had a huge influence. That's cool. Who's the first person you think of when you hear the word successful? Mm. You know, my my mind immediately goes to successful at what? Because there's people that are successful. I, I would immediately jump to somebody like an Elon Musk or somebody like that. Um, and then, you know, from a spiritual standpoint. There's other people I'll look at and say, yeah, one of, one of them actually was a client of mine for about 10 years, uh, Daryl Green from the Redskins. Mm-hmm. 
And just, you know, and it was so funny because when I met him when I was at Ron Blue working with all these athletes, um, we kind of developed a good relationship, uh, even though I wasn't the head planner with him, but he ended up leaving with me when, we, when I went off on my own. But it was just, it was really cool because he is for, he's lasted in the league for 20 years. I used to give him a hard time because I was a huge Cowboys fan and he was a Redskin. But, you know, just uh, flying up to Dulles and then going over to meet with him and his family in Sterling and talking through his, some of his ministries and impact and um, just real, real neat guy and huge influence on people in the D.C. area. So That's awesome. What do you do for self-care to rest, to recharge? That is a very easy question. Uh, I hot sit tub. in my hot tub hot with a tub. cigar, <laughs> and that is my recharge big time. It's, How many times do you think you post in, in in Holy Smokes in the Holy Smokes group with a picture of you in the hot tub? If, if, it feels like it's multiple times a week. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's well, yeah. It, it, I don't know if that's sad that it's like, is he needing that much relaxation? Because <laughs> my job really isn't that stressful anymore. It was super stressful. It was really funny. It was, it's su- it was super stressful in the month of March because when I left Ameriprise, it was, uh, I think I was telling you, I'm a huge movie person, but, um, you know, it was like, reminded me of The Firm, like you can, you can never leave The Firm meets Jerry Maguire. And the names were passed out and everybody was calling on my clients. And, you know, it's like, are these guys thinking through that they're like trying to steal money from me by trying to you know, take my clients away? And, um, and you said some of those clients you brought to Ameriprise. Oh, yeah, a ton of them. And, got, you know, so fortunately, the, uh, some of the real long-time people would send me pictures and of things that these guys were sending, like letters or Post-it notes on stuff and mailing to them and trying to take away. And uh, So it, it, it was fulfilling in some ways that, you know, these people weren't going to be swayed away by some, you know, talk or something that we can do better or this way. So, um, yeah. That was, uh, but rest and relaxation, one of the funny things was there were three women that came down and they were set up at the kitchen table right behind where the jacuzzi is. Mm-hmm. And they had their com- computer set up and they're inputting all the data and doing all the transfer paperwork. And it was funny because they said, uh, we've never done an onboarding of a new advisor who's so relaxed about things. And it was one night, I, uh, they were starting to wrap things up at about six. And so I, I got a cigar and uh, some bourbon and got in the hot tub and she took a picture over. She's like, here we are working. And she takes a picture from my kitchen looking down at the hot tub and I'm in there reading a book and having a, a bourbon and a cigar. While, and she sent it back to all the people at the home office. So it was pretty cool. All right. I'm going to try something new that oh. I've never done on the podcast before. You're the first one. Wow. Okay. It's kind of morbid to think about, but in reality, it's kind of in the back of our heads. How long do you think you're going to live? You know, <clears throat> that's an interesting question because um, I try to think on the short end from a standpoint of, you know, if something happened to me today, what's going to happen to you know, my wife and my kids and, and this. The kids are out of the house now, but Kim is what I focus on. Mm-hmm. And I did have open heart surgery back in um, it's 20 years ago to replace a uh, valve with a, mm-hmm. a mechanical one. And that, that was probably the biggest time of thinking about mortality was way back then. And I've been on blood thinners since and, and do all the stuff with that. Um, so, you know, to me, um, you know, I'm almost say like, hey, if I'm 85, great. You know, I'm looking after Randy Elkhorn's book, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready to move on. My kids uh, laugh because 
I'll usually update my uh, my whole. I'm a planner, so I update my whole funeral plan every year, mm -hmm. and I have it laid out of you know who's going to be the pallbearers that have to carry me down, uh, you know, and adjust that. And and actually, I've gotten to the point where I said, you know, I want a. Uh, I, I was telling them one day. I said, you know, I want to film, do a video every year, of you know that they could play at the funeral. I've never seen it done. So I'm like, I want to, you know, have a bunch of jokes, have, you know, just a lot of fun with it. And I thought, well, you know, if I have uh, cancer, I'll have plenty of time or something like that to do that. And my one daughter says, well, what if you get hit by a truck? I said, good point. I'm going to film two videos. And the first one will say, well, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> and then we can just go from there for the rest of it. <laughs> so that'll be the intro to the, the quick death. But, you know. All right. So 85. Uh-huh. I don't want to talk about 85, I want to talk about 84. Okay. How do you think you are going to be physically, mentally, financially, relationship-wise at that age? Like I said, I'm turning 59 this year. I think everything where it's at now is that, I actually do, when you talk about physically, I do, I go work out of the gym, I look around all the different people there, and I'll see some guys who are certainly older, they look like in their 70s or yeah. 80s that are working out there. And I, I do joke around with some of the guys in the gym because I'll see this old guy next to me and I'll be like, I look pretty good for 75. It's like, unfortunately, I'm 59. Or, you know, <laughs> but uh, you know, I want to be in a good enough shape to where I'm still going there, you know, still uh, active. And hopefully that's the case. You know, with the kids, I've told them even with here, you know, when I die, I want to be cremated. Just push me out in a barge and light it out here on the lake and, and I'll go down. And, but I do want my ashes. They think I'm weary with this too. I said, I'd like you to take, I'd like to be cremated and then my ashes to go into four uh, see-through Christmas ornaments so you can hang me on the tree every year and remember your dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're physically in good shape, mentally yeah. you're good relationship-wise, what do you think the chances are you're going to die at 85? You know, really it depends. I, I think it depends more on the heart issue and what goes on yeah. with that because really yeah. I don't know the long-term effects of blood thinners and all that yeah. stuff. So. Uh, but yeah, I think I'll be in good shape. I'm hoping the Lord returns before then, so I'll just be taken up before I get to that stage. How do you want to be remembered? Uh, great husband, great dad. And just relationship-wise, that my kids will take stuff from that and, and tear yeah. it forward with their families. And, yeah. Yeah, spending time with them. Somebody who was always focused more on the family than focused on work. All right, final three questions. What does Holy Smokes mean to you and how has it contributed to your spiritual journey? Uh, Holy Smokes, uh, in a lot of ways, has been a game changer. Uh, I think I was telling you last night, there are people, because of going to the conclave, connections, people I never would have met outside of Holy Smokes. Yeah. Um, and just quality people, but they're just so different that if they were in my church or something, I might never have even like that guy's odd, you know, or, you know, just different than me or doesn't like sports or something. But because of the cigars, the connection there, the faith, and just being able to really, I'd say lay down your hair, but I don't have any, uh, but just be able to, you know, talk about anything yeah. and feel like this person uh, sincerely cares. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's been, you know, kind of everything. And I travel all over for business for, you know, I don't have to, but I do because I like to see people in person. And so I'll, 
I schedule, you know, the first thing I'll do is schedule clients in the area and then I'll look up the guys from Holy Smokes are in that area and then set up all the evening things and stuff around that. So, yeah. That's great. All right, if you could have a Holy Smoke with any three people throughout history, living or deceased, who would they be? Can't name Jesus. Oh, so can I name like uh, the, uh, the 11 other disciples? Or? <laughs> yeah, if you want to, yeah. No. Three people... Um, you know, I might pick out some sports people just for fun. Um, I went to school with David Robinson, loved watching him play, Ooh. became a Spurs and NBA fan only because of him. Yeah. That'd be really, I mean, he'd play pickup ball with just guys hanging out around you know, the court. And so he'd be a fun one, great Christian guy. Uh, Roger Staubach, another sports guy that, um, you know, I've met, but I haven't had a, you know, didn't yeah. have a, Cigar, just any chance down. to sit down with him, yeah, yeah, and um, you know, Randy Alcorn because of the books and stuff I've named, he'd be somebody really cool just to. I mean, I know some of his story and some of he's gone through, but just to sit down and pick his brain on fiction and nonfiction uh, would be kind of cool. All right, last question mm. if we're meeting a year from today, uh-huh. and I got a bottle of your favorite bourbon or rum, what are we celebrating? I'd say it could be two things. I think we'd be celebrating what I talked about before with kind of launching something here in the neighborhood to have an impact on, you know, some believers and non-believers in this area. Um, Would be something I'm looking forward to starting this year. And, yeah, it'd be fun to, to celebrate that and to see some guys come to know the Lord in this area. And then professionally, uh, well, even with my kids, I think would be probably the second one. Just, you know, my daughter's getting married next week. The other one's married, and we have our first grandson. Uh, my son is serious with another girl. Probably will get engaged, not too distant future. Yeah. So just celebrating their lives where they're at, and they're starting their families, and that'd be a, a big celebration. Eric Reinhold. Mm. Thanks for being back on the Holy Smokes podcast, my man. And thanks for hosting me here. This is just smoke on the water. I freaking love this place. (laughs) Great. Awesome. Glad to have you here finally.